Since Mother's Day, we've been talking about home and family. We've been talking about how do we create a Deuteronomy 6 kind of a home? How do we create a home that looks like what God wants his covenant people to do with their families? How do we create a home where our master is honored every day? And so we've been thinking through the Lord of our home and the love of our home, the law of our home, the language of our home is our language shaped by Scripture. And in all of these things, we've talked a lot about rules, haven't we? Lots of rules and commandments, statutes, what does God expect, how does God want us to live, and making that a part of our home life. I would venture to say that all of us want to impress a certain way of living on the people in our homes. If you're a dad, this is particularly applicable to you and to me, but even if you're a mom or you're maybe an aunt or an uncle or a grandfather or a grandmother or maybe even on your spouse, we all look at other people and we think, I wish that I could teach them. I wish that I could lead them. I wish that I could help them to see that maybe their behavior needs to improve in some way or change in some way. So this morning, as we think through what God is saying to his first covenant people through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, and we're thinking about how God is impressing upon parents the importance of teaching their children God's standard for living, I want us to think through how do we lead? How do we teach? How do we guide our families? When we look at their behavior and we say, that needs to change. Don't do things that way. Do things this way. We might think, and this is a good start, isn't it? That being a good example is how you lead people to change. And certainly that has to be a part of it. But is that all we're doing? Is all we're doing being a good example, hoping that they'll look at us and say, you know what, I want to do things that way. Or maybe we're just approaching it from a merely authoritarian way of doing things, where we just say, don't do that, don't touch that, don't act that way, don't say that, be this way. How do we teach? How do we lead? How do we guide? I think that if we look at Deuteronomy 6, we will find an incredibly important principle that applies to any kind of a leadership, especially to fathers, and it's appropriate that today is Father's Day, and think through how we as fathers, but again, this applies to mothers and grandparents and aunts and uncles. It even has some application to spouses. How do we lead? How do we guide? How do we teach our families this is the way that things ought to be done? And I think that it will help us to see a better way. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to read through the whole chapter. Don't let that intimidate you. It's okay. But we're going to read through the whole chapter. And again, if you haven't been with us or you're not familiar with the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy literally means second law. It's the second giving of the law. So you had the people of Israel that God brought out of Egypt, right? They were slaves in Egypt and God brought them out and brought them to the wilderness and they received the law and then Moses took them to the promised land. But instead of taking the promised land like they were supposed to, they doubted God and they said, oh, those people are too big, they're too strong, they're too well fortified, there's no way that we can take them. And because of their lack of faith, 
God made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So that first generation of fighting men has died out. And another generation has been born and has been brought up. And so Moses is speaking to this new generation that is about to go into the promised land and receive what God has for them. And Moses is reminding them, this is the way you must live. This is what it looks like to be God's covenant people, reminding them of the promises and the covenant and the law. Look at chapter 6 and verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So again, do you see the, the, the part of this that's all about rules and commandments and statutes? This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to live. And also the generational aspect of it. That God is saying, this is something that has to do with your fathers, to your forefathers, the promises that were made to them, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And now you are receiving those promises. And these commandments, this covenant... This law, it's something that needs to be passed on to your sons and to your sons' sons from generation to generation. And then we read the, the part of the text we've been looking at the last few weeks. Hear, O Israel. Listen, Israel. Shema, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Again, this Law, this covenant, these promises, the statutes that God gives to you as a people, Israel, need to shape everything you do and everything you are. It needs to shape your home, your house, your, how you live your life day in, day out. Everything that you do as a family needs to be shaped by your covenant relationship with God. Verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you didn't build, and houses full of all good things that you didn't fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, pretty soon you're going to be dwelling in cities. You didn't build those cities. Living in houses that you didn't build. Enjoying the produce and all of the wonderful things that someone before you built and did and that your God brought you out of slavery to possess. And when you go in, 
and you live there and you enjoy all the blessings of being my covenant people, don't you forget who your God is. Don't you forget who brought you here. Don't you forget who I am and what I've commanded you. Verse 13, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after the other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. Again, this is incredibly serious stuff, isn't it? And and Moses is saying to them, not only do you have an obligation, you generation that are going in to possess this land, you have an obligation to keep the law, to do what you're supposed to do, to not forget who your God is, to honor Him, to love Him, to serve Him, to trust Him, to be faithful to Him and to Him alone. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Not only do you have that obligation, but you have an obligation to teach it to your children so that generation after generation after generation after generation lives as God's covenant people. Now, we know if we've read the rest of the story that that's not what ended up happening, is it? But that's what was supposed to happen. That's the way God's covenant people are supposed to be, that we pass this down from generation to generation. Verse 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. That's where they quarreled and they complained. God continued to take care of them and they continued to distrust and put the God and put God to the test. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. So again, there's all kinds of rules statutes that again, you you think that that's what it's all about and it's not really what it's all about. Because look at verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of these testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? In other words, your children are going to ask the same thing my children ask, right? When I go in and I tell my boys something to do, I say, pick up this room. What do you suppose their question is? Why? Why? That's right. Why? 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 Time to take a bath. Why? Time to do this. Why? Do this. Why? Don't, don't do that. Why? So we want to know, isn't it? So everybody wants to know. When your parents told you things to do, you want to know why? When, when you tell your children something to do, they want to know why. When you tell your grandchildren something to do, they want to know why. Your nieces and nephews, maybe even your spouse. And we say, this is how we should live as a family. And these are the kinds of things that we should do. The question, whether it's spoken out loud or not, is why. Now, there's all kinds of ways of answering that question, why. And sometimes in the moment, as a dad, I have to just say, because I said so, Right? Because I said so, because I'm the dad, that's why, right? But there's something bigger that needs to happen. There's a bigger picture that needs to be seen. Look at verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, 
We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. In other words, Moses is telling God's people, God is telling His people through Moses, to give the commandments to their children in the context of the Exodus story. Let me say that again. The commandments need to be given in the context of the Exodus story. So tell your children what to do and how to live and when they inevitably wonder, why? Why? Why should I not bear false witness against my neighbor? Why should I not covet my neighbor's field? If my neighbor has something good and I want it, why shouldn't I covet it? Why shouldn't I just look out for myself? Why do I need to look out for my neighbor or my enemy or a a sojourner, a a foreigner or a slave? Why should I look out for anybody but number one, right? Why, Why shouldn't I do that? Why? Here's the answer why. And your children wonder why. They say, why has God told us to live this way and do these things and not do these other things? Then you tell them why. Tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You see, there's a larger principle here that applies to every single one of us. That good leaders are storytellers. And I don't mean just any story, but the story. Good leaders help those who are following them or those they hope will follow them, help them to see the big picture. You see, because when my kids are supposed to clean up their room and they say, why? To them, and and I understand, when my mom and dad told me to make the bed, I thought, I'm just going to mess it up again, right? I'm going to get into it again tonight. Why make it, right? All I could see was me and the bed and them imposing some sort of rule on me that I didn't understand but I didn't see the big picture. I didn't see that there was more at stake about submission and obedience and structure and order. There's something bigger going on than just me and a rule that seems rather burdensome at the time. We need to, if we're going to lead our families well, and what God was telling His people of that time, if you're going to lead your families well, if you're going to teach them to be my covenant people, if you're going to impress upon them and on their hearts these statutes, these rules, these commandments that I'm giving you, they're going to wonder, what's it all about? Why? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't benefit me in the short term. Help them to see the big picture. Tell them who we are. Tell them where we came from. Tell them what I have done for you as a people. Tell them how we got here in the first place. Couch everything in the context of the Exodus story. And that's why that story, who they were as a people, had to be something that was constantly on their minds. That's why they took the Passover, or they were supposed to take the Passover every year. So that they continue to rehearse that story, continue to participate in that story year after year, generation after generation. Because all of the rules and all of the statutes, all of the commandments are in the context of we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And God brought us out of there and brought us to this land. That was the plan. That was how they were supposed to teach their children. Look at verse 22. 
And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that we, he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. I want you to notice something here. Think about who Moses is talking to again. You're talking about maybe some young parents in the crowd, maybe in their 20s or 30s. Where were they when Israel came out of Egypt? They weren't even born yet, were they? They didn't exist yet. They were born in the wilderness. Yet Moses tells them, when you tell this story, when your kids wonder, why? Why keep the commandments? Why don't do this and do that? Thou shalt this and thou shalt not that. Why? What's the purpose? Then you tell them the story and tell it to them in the first person, right? You see the the first person pronouns that are used throughout there? It's us. This is our story. You see, I think that there's an important lesson there about how to read the Bible and how to read Old Testament Bible stories. We have a tendency to read them allegorically when we ought to read them as a biography, right? This is biographical and not allegorical, right? We have a tendency to take the story of Abraham, maybe Abraham sacrificing Isaac, and we just take that story out of the context and we say, what's the moral of the story, right? Well, what good behavior should I now put into my life because of this story? And we make it like Aesop's fables or like a parable. And there's there's good morals to learn in lots of Old Testament stories, But Moses is telling the Israelites, and I think there's an important lesson for us. This is your story. Don't tell them, hey, there was this guy named Abraham who lived a long time ago. And hey, he did some good things. You can learn some lessons from his life. Don't tell them, hey, there was this guy Moses and he did some good things. And you can learn a few good morals from his life. No, tell them this is our story. This is our story. God brought us out of Egypt. He delivered us from slavery and brought us into freedom. He brought us into paradise. He brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. But not only are the pronouns first person, they're first person plural. You see that? This isn't just about you, son. As you are talking Israelite father or mother to your Israelite son and you're impressing upon them the rules and the commandments, and they say, why? It's not about them. It's not about you. It's about us. It's about Israel. It's about the covenant people of God that he had delivered out of slavery and into freedom. You, You tell them the story, first person plural, so that their cultural and community identity is shaped and formed so that they know this is our story. This is our song. This is who we are. This is why we do what we do. This is why we don't do what we don't do. Now, I hope that you can already start to see how this applies to Christians living today. 
First of all, the Exodus story is a part of our story, isn't it? You say, how is that true, Wes? You're not a Jew. No, I'm not a Jew. Not, not physically. Spiritually, I am, though. Isn't that what Paul says, Galatians chapter 3, that if I have faith in Jesus, the Messiah, that I become a part of Abraham's family? Abraham isn't just a guy that lived a long time ago that did some good things and you can learn some good lessons from his life. He's father Abraham. He's grandfather Abraham. And I can teach my children that story because it's our story. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the the 12 sons and the tribes and Moses and the Exodus. This is our story. They did some good things. They did some bad things. But one way or another, God was working through them to bring them to the point of the Messiah. And that's the good news story. That's our Exodus story, isn't it? That's the story, the gospel, the good news, is the story in which all of the rules we impress upon our children have to be couched. It has to be in the context of the good news story, doesn't it? What's the good news? The good news is that we, not somebody way back there, but us, we, humanity, was lost in darkness. We had sinned. And because we had sinned, the consequences was death. And we were enslaved to sin and death and darkness. And the light came into the world. And even though the darkness tried to overcome it, the darkness couldn't overcome the light. And Jesus was lifted up and drew us to Himself. And He gave Himself, He shed His blood so that the sins of His people would be covered over. And He could deliver us through the water, right? Out of darkness, through the water, like the Red Sea. Out of slavery, through the water, like the children of Israel were delivered. And we would be delivered into freedom and light and life and resurrection, and that death and sin would have no more dominion over us. We wouldn't be enslaved anymore. Now we're free. We were slaves before, and now we're free. We were in darkness before, and now we're in light. We were dead before, and now we're alive, and we'll be alive forevermore. That's our story. And so when our children want to know, Why don't we do that? Why can't I do that? All my friends do that. How come I can't do that? How come you're so old-fashioned, Dad? How come you're so old-fashioned, Mom, Grandma, Aunt, Uncle, whoever it is? How come you think that way? I'm glad you asked. Tell them our story. When they want to know, how come we have to go to church? How come we have to go to church every week. I mean, you can listen to somebody better than Wes on the TV, right? You can listen to somebody better than Wes on the on the internet. Why do we have to go to church every week? Tell them our story. Tell them it's not about Wes. It's not about them. It's not about you. It's about us. That these people that we gather with Every Sunday, they're, they're different from us and, and, and they're, they're the same as us. And they're the same as us because they are the people that Jesus is delivering out of darkness and into His kingdom of light. And so we gather with them every week and we remember and we tell our story. We participate in that story. We, we take the bread and we drink the cup so that we remember the story. So that we teach each other in songs and hymns and spiritual songs that... This is who we are. 
and this is why we live the way that we live. When your kids want to know, how come I can't watch that movie? How come you won't let us watch the movies that our friends watch? Tell them that you were slaves to darkness, and you came out of the darkness, and you don't want to invite darkness back into your home. Tell them yes and no, and tell them right and wrong, and what they ought to do and what they ought not to do, but we've got to teach them in the context of the story. We've got to be good storytellers. And I don't mean your story about your past or a little anecdote from your past. We could tell all kinds of illustrations and parables and fables, but that's not the story I'm talking about. The story we've got to tell our generation and the next generation and the next generation is the good news story. That Jesus came as a better Moses to deliver us from a worse slavery into a better freedom. Right? That's our story. And it shapes everything that we do and what we don't do. So you want to lead your family well? You want to guide your family well? You want to teach your family well? Then teach them in the context of the good news story. Because a lot of people believe the wrong story, don't they? A lot of people believe the wrong story. A lot of young people are growing up today believing that the story is all about them, that they're the main character of the story, and that someday they're going to grow up to be famous, they're going to be in the spotlight. Teach them our story so they know it's not about them. It's about God and God's covenant people. A lot of people grew up, maybe you grew up, Believing the story was that if you do everything right, and you check all the right boxes, you cross all the right T's and dot all the right I's, and you are obedient to the level of perfection, that you'll be good enough to get yourself out of darkness and into light. That's the wrong story. That's the wrong story. The right story is that Jesus brings His people who trust in Him, who clothe themselves with Him in baptism. By grace, through faith, Jesus justifies His people. That's the right story. But maybe some people grew up thinking that story and they pat themselves on the back thinking that they're doing it right. They're believing the wrong story. Or maybe some people believe that there's no hope for them because they haven't done it all right. That's the wrong story too. The right story is that Jesus can deliver anyone out of darkness and into His light. And the New Testament reveals to us, if we are the people that have been delivered out of darkness and into light, this is how we live. Not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. We put our trust in Him at the point of baptism and we cross our Red Sea out of darkness into light. And this is how we walk. And that's what we need to impress upon each other and upon further generations. We want to help you. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that isn't yet a part of God's covenant people. No matter who you've been or where you've been or what you've done, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We all deserve to be slaves of sin and death, but Jesus has come to set us free. Won't you be set free? If you need prayers or encouragement or be baptized into Christ, we want to help you any way we can. Won't you come forward as we stand and sing?